Let's open with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for today. I just pray your blessing on every person that's here, every family and every home that is represented. We pray that you would touch us with your presence and change us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I wanna start with James chapter four, verse six. It says, but he, speaking of God, gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Another verse that you've probably heard before, Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So how many of you agree, let's avoid pride? We want to be humble, but what does godly humility look like? Romans chapter 12, verse three says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, most of us are quick to recognize the first part of that scripture that says, humility is not thinking more of myself than I ought. But how many of you noticed that when it said how to think about yourself, it said it would require faith? Now, if humility is defined by the average elementary student, it has to do with belittling like speaking lowly of yourself, like not praising oneself. And a lot of people have a picture of humility that's basically, I don't promote myself. I don't praise myself. I don't advance myself. I'm humble. We talk about people having humble beginnings. We don't really mean that they were humble. We mean they had nothing. Have you ever noticed that? We, we, we've distorted the, the definition of humility and made it lack. When you say that someone had humble human beginnings, you're not really saying they were overly humble. You're just saying they didn't have much. This scripture said, when you're humble in a righteous way, you will, it will require faith. Now, Does it take faith to believe that this table is here? Not really. See, it doesn't take faith to believe for that which is obvious. If if you've heard the, the, the faith fall or the trust fall, have any of you guys ever played the game where you stand on an edge and your friends line up behind you and you lean your, you cross your arms and you just fall back? You have to put faith in your friends. How many of you thought I was gonna go for it? You have to put faith in your friends. Why? Why do we say it takes faith? Because you couldn't see. You were trusting in something that was less than obvious. So to have righteous humility involves faith. Hebrews 1 says faith is the confidence of what we hope for, the assurance of what is we do not see. What is it that isn't always obvious. Second Corinthians chapter five seventeen says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature. And Ivy says, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. It takes faith 
to believe that what God said about you is true. Gideon, how many of you remember that story? Gideon was afraid of the Amalekites. He lived in a time when Israel was being oppressed. He was hiding. He was threshing wheat in a wine press, which is basically the equivalent of putting your, your clothes out to dry in the basement. Because threshing wheat requires wind, but he was hidden. And then an angel comes and let's, the angel says, the Lord is with you. Chapter six, verse 12, mighty warrior. And Gideon is kind of like, who? And Gideon replies, he says, when they, the angel says, okay, you're going to deliver Israel. He says, um, verse 15, pardon me, my Lord. Can you just say, uh, uh, pardon me, excuse me. Um, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. I think it's my dad that says it this way. He says, I'm from the Barney Fife tribe and I'm Barney Fife. He said, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the lowly person. Now, many of us would look at that and say, well, there's humility. But he didn't have faith. In fact, he had the opposite. He had fear. The real bondage was in Gideon. One of the most famous stories in the Bible about pride and humility is the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, do you remember this one? Chapter four of Daniel. And it says this in verse 28. It says, all this happened to the king, Nebuchadnezzar. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is this not the great Babylon I have built as my royal residence by my power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as these words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to whomever he wishes. So in a traditional sense, we think King Nebuchadnezzar was just humbled, right? But let's continue with the story. After he spends seven years insane, verse 36, at the same time that my sanity was restored to me, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. What if humility is the lack, he was humbled only for seven years, but then he got his glory and his kingdom back and he's still calling it his kingdom. He says, my advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. I did not remember that part of the story. Now I, King Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and his ways are just and all those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He was not humble because he had nothing. He was humble because he recognized where it came from. 
Humility is not believing less of yourself. Humility is recognizing that the greatness within you comes from God. When God humbled King Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't take him down a notch. He brought him up a notch, but he made sure that by the time he got to that upper notch, he knew where it came from. See, so many of us Christians have this idea that we are supposed to be down on ourselves. I can't, I can't believe highly. I can't expect great things. That would be pride. We have this idea that the proud person is the confident person. And the humble person, well, that's the one who has nothing and knows they have nothing. And if they have nothing and know they have nothing, they're humble. Baloney. See, God humbled King Nebuchadnezzar not by keeping him down. God promoted Nebuchadnezzar, but first he made sure Nebuchadnezzar understood where that promotion was coming from. See, as as Christians, God made us in somebody's image. Do you remember who? His image. We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece that he created with God, with Jesus as the model. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that each of you are artists and that you have painted your best work yet. And I walk over here and I unveil it and then I begin to criticize. You know... That color just doesn't go right and the sun is not quite realistic and, and that grass over there, you can tell, you know, the wind's blowing one way. If I start, does that bring you glory as the artist? No. You are not glorified if I demean your art. When, when we speak ill of what God has done, created in us, when we speak ill of us, we are not glorifying God. Nehemiah understood the value of his call and of his work, but I'm going to skip over Nehemiah a minute because I don't have time to get into it all. But Numbers 12, 3. Let's look at Moses. <laughs> Numbers 12, 3. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. The Bible says Moses was the most humble. Do you know who wrote that? Moses! <laughs> Can you imagine if you're there, God is inspiring you to write some stuff, and he's like, write down that you are the most humble on the planet. What? Especially when we have this idea that humility is not acknowledging strength. That's wrong. See, humility is, is not taking credit for the strength coming from you, but it's recognizing God is the source of my strength. David, when he came to the battlefield and saw Goliath out there, he was confident that he could take him on. Why was he confident? Because he knew he was such a good shot with his sling 
and he thought he'd be the first person to take on a giant with a sling. No, he, his confidence was in God, not in himself. And you know what's interesting? His brother, his brother says, I know the pride that is in your heart. The devil has been using that strategy to stop Christians from achieving greatness since thousands of years ago. When God calls us to something and then we think, oh, I shouldn't step forward. I better not dare because if I try, someone will say that I'm proud. And to attempt something great for God would be pride. No, pride is attempting something without recognizing the source. Pride is looking at what you've done and saying, look what I have done by myself without God's help. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar did. God humbled him, but he didn't, he didn't humble him the way we Americans would think of humbling as we knocked him down a peg and he never returned. No, he humbled him by bringing him higher than he'd ever been before, but with an understanding where it came from. Think about this for a second. We as Christians are made in his image. If, if Moses could write, I am the most humble of all, that, honestly, that takes quite a bit of humility. You, see, you know what? I know what people are going to say when they read this, but God said it. I'm going to do it. He was willing to speak. Moses had another encounter with God earlier you remember this one? This is one of my favorites. Is, you remember he, he, he was raised in the palace. Then he, he commits a crime. He gets exiled for 40 years. He's living out in the desert. Then he sees a burning bush and God's voice speaks from him from this bush that's on fire but isn't consumed. And God says, I'm sending you to go deliver the people of Israel from Pharaoh. I want you to go stand in front of the ruler of the known world and ask to, for the Israelites to be released. And he says, but, 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 but God, I, I've never been good, good, good at speaking. And God responds and says, who made your mouth? Yeah. Ah, I love that line. Right. But here's, here's the thing. He thought it was him. And he tried to make his, and God already taught him. If I say you're capable, you're capable. That was not humility. That was a lack of, of understanding. Listen to this. Godly humility is filled with faith. It has faith. Now, if you and I begin to see ourselves as made in God's image and we begin to recognize the power and the potential that God has put in us What's going to happen to our self-image? Are, are we going to be little mamby-pamby? No. Here's the thing. I've got six kids. I am trying to convince my kids that I love them, that they're great, that they're awesome, that they're special. But you know what happens sometimes? They seem to get the idea that that makes them more special than their siblings. And, and they're like, oh, that's, that's for me and only me. So 
Humility is thinking what God says about myself. I believe when the scripture says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, it's not talking about thinking of yourself like less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less in the sense that you begin to recognize, you know what? I'm made in God's image, but so are you. So are you. Oh, and so are they, and they don't know it. But they are made in God's image. Humility is recognizing God's purpose and value on yourself. Honor is recognizing that same value on others. Now, here's the thing. If honor is rooted in God's purpose for someone, do they have to earn it? We can earn respect. We can earn trust. Do we need to earn honor? Should we need to earn honor? Honor. First Samuel chapter 24 is the story of David. Now, David, we talked a little bit about what happened with him and David, with Goliath. He killed the giant. Israel was thrilled. They beat the bad guys and it was all David's fault. And they began to sing. How many remember the story? Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul gets like crazy jealous. And it says from that day on, he sought to kill David. So David, who has done nothing wrong, is now being hunted by the king. And there is an account, it actually happens twice, but in this particular case, David is hiding out in the depths of a cave. Saul is out with his hunting party trying to find and kill David. And the Bible says that he went into a cave In Spanish, it says to take care of his personal needs. Without his bodyguard, and David is in the back of that cave, and David's friends say, look, God has just delivered Saul into your hands. This is your enemy. That man's trying to kill you. Go over there, kill him. No, this is is it. What does David say? He says this. In verse six, and he said to his men, that's David responding to them, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing that you suggest to my masters, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of Israel. Did did Saul deserve, on a personal level, based on his actions, mercy? Not a bit. But David understood, I'm not treating Saul based on what Saul has done. I'm treating him based on the call that God has given him. Imagine if we were treating people not based on how they see themselves, not based on how they treat us, but based on what God has called them to do. That's honor. When we see someone in position or authority, the Bible says that God put them there. Are they always doing what they ought to with that authority? Woo, no. But 
we are doing right when we honor them. Jude, chapter one, only one chapter in Jude, verse nine. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him or slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Think about that for a second. The angel Michael is in an argument with Satan and he wouldn't insult him. Does anybody deserve to be insulted more than Satan himself? But Michael understood something we don't understand. Even Michael says, you know what? That's God's place to belittle you. I am not treating you based on what you do or what you've done. I honor the purpose for which you were created. Wow. Think about that for just a second. I grew up in a hunting family. We had guns. I don't even know if I could count how many guns we had. We were shotguns for squirrels and guns for deer and guns. And I grew up learning how, how many of you guys have ever been taught to handle a gun? Can you remember the rule? Handle a gun as if it is always loaded. All right, that is like rule 101. Now, the gun might be empty. And an empty gun technically can't do anything to hurt you unless you just smack it like a baseball bat. <laughs> but if you get around anybody who is trained in the use of a gun, they will not point that at you. And if you point it at them, they will just swat it away. Why? Because they have learned to respect the power and the purpose of that weapon even when it is not technically capable because they understand in order to treat it right when it does have a bullet, I am always going to treat it right just in case. Okay? This is what God is describing us and how we should be treating each other. We are all as powerful as a gun. God has put something in every single one of us. He created us for a purpose. He made us in his image. Not all of us are walking in that purpose. And in our society, we think, well, if he hasn't earned my respect, I'm not going to treat him with honor. But that's not the way by the God is asking us to treat others. How many of you remember during the Iraq war when there was the scandal regarding the POWs, the terrorists who we had as captured who were mistreated by our soldiers? Do you remember that? Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Those soldiers, or excuse me, those terrorists, many of whom had captured Americans, had treated them th that bad or worse, decapitated them on television. It, it didn't have anything to do with whether they deserved it. But there was an outcry because they were treated dishonorably. What determined what was honorable? Was it their behavior or our honor? We wanted our soldiers to treat them the way we wished our soldiers in the event of capture were treated, not based on how our soldiers treated 
were treated by them. You see, we understood in a rare moment, our society was demonstrating what honor looks like. It's not based on them. It's based on the value that I give them. As Christians, we value life. Why? Because we recognize every person was made in God's image. That's why whether you're a day old, 30 years old, 90 years old, your, value, your life has value. Whether you're a plumber or a brain surgeon, whether you're unemployed or working five jobs, your value comes from God. Our society doesn't say that. Our society says, I think, therefore I am. So if I'm not thinking, I have less value. They say, you know what? You can abort. You can kill a person if they're just not born yet because they don't have value. You see, they don't, they don't understand where that value comes from. Exodus 20, verse 12 says, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord God is giving you. Notice, it doesn't say to those of you who have great parents, honor them. Praise them for what they've done. Just says honor. You are honoring, not based on what they did, but based on the position they have and the value and the calling that God gave them. And God says that your ability to honor is connected to your life. He says, you will live a long life because you honored. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. There it is. How do you think of yourself more highly than you ought? when you try to draw honor to yourself instead of others. When you consider God's call on your life to be more significant than God's call on someone else's. See, God says, I want you to know and recognize and have faith in the calling that you have. But then when you treat others, I want you to treat them as though they are more important than you. I don't want you to dishonor yourself. You dishonor yourself. You're dishonoring me who created you. Thinking more highly of myself than I ought. It's not saying I can't think that God has done great things, will do great things, has great things in store for me. In fact, we're taught in the scripture to do that. But what it's saying is don't walk around like you're the only person God's going to use. Acknowledge that God has purpose for those around you. And then God says, this is how I want my church to look like. I want my church to be people who are seeking to honor the purpose I have for others over their own selves. Imagine for a second what it would look like if you treat your kids as though they will accomplish God's best will for them. Oh man, it almost brings tears to my eyes. My wife and I were, were coaching a uh, little soccer team 
And there was this kid on there. Oh my goodness. This kid, you know, like some people may question ADD. This kid had it. Okay. I mean, just, and, and he like when the ball, when he was at the ball, like he would score like crazy, but you could, we, you would, we would tell him, I mean, he's just so much energy. This kid, I mean, he's only like, what was he? Seven. I think he was about seven years old. And I mean, he was a dynamite as soon as he got to the ball, but you could not get him to stand in one spot. Tell him you're on defense. He'd go to the ball. Tell him you're on offense. He'd go to the ball. He just, he just, and I will never forget that I think it turned out to be his grandfather was standing there and he said, he said, well, if he doesn't do what you want, you just shout him. You have my permission to shout him. That kid, he's just not worth, he's just gonna end up in jail someday. And my wife and I both just like cringed inside, realizing this kid, he had, he was, he scored half our goals. He was a good kid. He just, he just had a whole lot going on inside that mind of his and it had to be going on in his body too. And so when you asked him to stand still and that, that just didn't happen. And, and I understood why his grandpa was frustrated. But to see him declaring such a terrible end just tore me up because what he needs is someone to recognize God's call in his life. Imagine what your marriage would be like if you treated your spouse not based on what they did this morning, what they did yesterday. You know what? You're not getting uh, any of my attention because remember what you said did yesterday? But you treated them based on the purpose and the call that God has in them. Imagine what your workplace would be like once people started realizing, you know what? Those Christians over there, they believe that I'm special, that, that I can do, that they, they expect good things from me. Imagine if the world started to recognize that we honored the value that God has given them, that we went to people expecting that for which they were created to come to pass. That is honor. Scripture goes on and on about taking the place of honor. Luke chapter 14, verse seven. Jesus noticed at a party how the guests picked places of honor at the table. He told them this parable. He said, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host will invite both of you and you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who are exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It is... The, and, and then the disciples, they got in arguments. They wanted to, to get the seat of honor. And, and it's, you see this, this fighting back and forth. And I already read James 4, 6. It says, God opposes the proud. But let's 
be clear about what it means to be prideful. Pride is failing to acknowledge God as our source. You can be confident that God has given you a purpose, that he has, is empowering you to complete that purpose. And oftentimes, confidence to the, those who don't have confidence looks like arrogance. It's not if we acknowledge where it comes from. Jesus was honored by the woman who gave the, the, through the, the alabaster jar of perfume at his feet and washed his feet. And the disciples didn't understand. They said, why would you do something of such value, throw something of such value away? And Jesus responded that what she did would be talked about wherever the gospel was preached. You see, she was showing value. First Peter chapter seven says, husbands likewise dwell with them with understandings, giving honor to your wife. Now, think about for a minute what it means to honor someone if honor isn't earned. If I honor my wife, that doesn't mean I praise her for the right thing she did this morning, the right thing she did yesterday. To honor my wife means I choose to believe in the purpose that God has put in her, the value he has given her. I choose to treat her as a precious gift to me when she does right and when she does not. That is honoring my wife. When I say to her, even though you hurt me, frustrated me, that, 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 whatever, I love you and I see you as a gift from God. That's honor. I am seeing God's purpose in her. So today I want to encourage, there are two, two times. Some of us struggle to see God's purpose in ourselves. Others, yeah, we don't struggle with that so much. But we don't understand that link to seeing God's purpose in others. See, to be humble isn't to think I have no value. In faith, the humble recognizes what God has put in him. He just recognizes it came from God. We are to see people not based on what they have done so far, but based on what God has planned for them. Now, here's the thing. When we do that, we are following God's example. Romans chapter five, verse eight says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How many of you realize that God did not wait for us to earn that perspective, that salvation? When we least 
deserved it, that's when he gave it. If you'll take a minute, grab the hand of the person beside you, close your eyes for a minute. If you're here today and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your sins are forgiven, that God, when you were still a sinner, died for your sin, rose from the dead, I want you to celebrate that by squeezing your person's hand next to you. Now, the Bible says, know that you have salvation. It doesn't say wait and find out. It says no. If you do not know that your sins are forgiven, if you do not know that you are right with God, Scripture tells us you can know. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, you will be saved. If you're here today and you want to leave knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven and you weren't able to squeeze the hand before, I want you to squeeze a hand now. Just squeeze the person's hand next to you. Now, if you're here today and the person next to you squeezed your hand, I want you to quietly turn to them. If you're willing to come forward, give that person a nod and we're going to pray right here, right now. Is there anybody here whose hand was squeezed or who squeezed a hand? and wants to come forward and accept Jesus as the Lord of their life. If you're here, both of you, raise your hand. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your family. We thank you that you love us, that you created us in your image, that we have value apart from what we have done, what we've accomplished, or how we have failed. Our value comes straight from you. And our power and all our achievements also come straight from you. We recognize that you are the source of our blessing. You are the source of our success. I just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.